Amazing, how time flies, 2007, uh, here we go. I'm going to get my watch out and put it here, which means, uh, as you know, absolutely nothing, that's absolutely right. Okay, we're starting something new today, and uh, I just want to paint some broad brushstrokes of a picture about what our church is all about and uh, what it will continue to be about as we enter this new year together. And uh, you will say, some of you, I've heard this stuff before, to which I will reply, I jolly well hope so. The trouble is, though, vision leaks. And where there is no vision, what happens? You good King James Version people, the people perish. That's what the Bible says. Where there is no vision, the people perish. If you read that verse in the NIV, it says the people cast off restraint. People go in different directions. Nothing kills a church faster than people going off in different directions. In contrast, Paul says, this is what you should be like. Like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. And one of the exciting things for me about hanging around this church for the last few years is the way we have continued and increased our sense of unity in spirit and in purpose. And it is therefore no accident that we have seen God blessing, God's blessing in the ways that Heather was describing just a few moments ago. So I know you've heard some of it before, vision leaks. We've got to stay focused on what God is asking us to do. We haven't got the time or the energy to do stuff that God's not asking of us. So turn with me to page 1083 in the Bibles, which is John chapter 15, a different uh, set of verses from the ones that uh, you heard a moment ago. John chapter 15 and verse 1, page 1083. And it says, very simply, I am the true vine, this is Jesus speaking, I am the true vine and my Father is the gardener. Got it? Jesus the vine, God the Father, the gardener. Now look just a few verses below to verse 5, and there you read, I am the vine, well we knew that because Jesus had just told us, but this time, a little bit of more extra information, you are the branches. You and I are the branches, Jesus is the vine, God the Father is uh, the gardener. Everyone happy so far? Anyone not sure whether Jesus understood this passage properly? Now, what is the essential task of the gardener, the vineyard owner? What's his job? What does he need? Hello? Hello? He needs fruit. I know in a Baptist church you can't mention grapes and wine and all that stuff. But he needs fruit. A gardener, a vineyard owner needs fruit. Is it an essential part of what he does or just an optional extra? No, the bottom line for the first century vineyard owner is that he desperately needs fruit. Fruit bearing for him is not an option. If the fruit does not come on the vine, he starves along with his family. What are the branches on the vine designed to do? Are they designed to look pretty? Shade him from the hot summer's sun? To be colourful on the hillside? No, a vine is a prolific plant. The branch is designed for one single purpose, to produce fruit. Who are the branches? We are. Fruit-bearing people in the kingdom of God. Is fruit bearing, if we are branches on a vineyard, is it an optional extra? It's the essential task to which God is calling. 
without which we and our children metaphorically starve spiritually to death. Any problems with that? Still sure Jesus understood it all? No? Still happy? Jesus wasn't too sure we would grasp it quite as quickly, so he pushes the point home just a little bit further down. Look at verse 8. This is to my Father's glory. What does he say? That we keep doing everything faithfully? That we keep all the services going? That the meetings are run? The groups are organised? All the jobs get done? And all the rotors for 2007 are filled? Wouldn't that be marvellous? Is that what gives God glory? No, this is to my Father's glory. That you bear much fruit. And how do you do that? You do it in showing that yourselves to be my disciples. And again in verse 16, if we're still not sure, Jesus says, hey, and by the way, you didn't think this up by yourself. You didn't choose me. It's the other way around. I chose you. And why did I choose you? I appointed you to go and bear fruit. Fruit that will be here and gone for tomorrow? No. Fruit that will last. Something that will stand for eternity. God desires fruit bearing. We're designed as fruit bearers. Isn't that the truth? Isn't that what we're here for? Mm. Good. You see, at the end of 2007, when the last chord has been sung and the final benediction has been said, what will matter in heaven about our church? Will it be how faithfully we've kept the show going or will it be how fruitful the show has become? 2006 was a fantastic year and there is good reason why we should be pretty anxious about 2007 because how can you improve on that? And if it was down to me, uh, I'd be too stressed to turn up this morning. But if this is true, if God in heaven desires, no, delights in fruit bearing and he has designed us as his fruit bearers, then hey, maybe we're just beginning to glimpse something of all that God would have for us. The fruit, of course, is people's lives. And Jesus' choice of the vine, not surprisingly, was an inspirational one because they would have understood it from the Old Testament. It was all about people joining the kingdom of God and growing in the kingdom of God, which is exactly the kind of fruit that Jesus expected. Turn to those verses that uh, Liz read to us from Matthew chapter 28. Go... Go and do what? Go and make disciples. What do you do with disciples? You baptize them. What do you do with disciples once you've baptized them? You teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. The first thing is then go, go and make disciples. That's what we call mission. Finding people, encouraging people, helping people to become followers of Jesus Christ. Then secondly, we baptize them. We've seen that today. And then thirdly, what do we do? Teach them to obey everything. And Jesus helps us understand what that means. This is the Great Commission. He gave us those other verses called the Great Commandment, when he said everything that you need to know can be summed up in just these few verses. And here it is. All you've got to do, dead easy, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. This is the greatest commandment. That's it. Mission, maturity, that's all we need to do to be God's fruit-bearing church. We believe that a great commitment to the great commission and the great commandment will grow a great church. It's dead cheesy, isn't it? But it's true. I wish it wasn't cheesy. We don't do cheesy, do we chaps? Not sure. No, we don't do cheesy. But that's cheesy. But it's true. 
If we will commit to these things and be those branches that was in Jesus' heart when he looked at his disciples, he said, look, it's like this. My father's the gardener and my father wants fruit. He loves fruit because he longs for people to grow in his kingdom. And you're the branches. You're the people that are going to make it happen in my name. Think with me about what it means to be fruit bearers. It's all about helping people to walk, to move from unbelief, to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Think with me, is there any better journey anybody can make than this one? Aren't you glad you've made this journey? Is there anything that would make more of a difference in the lives of the people you know and love than for them to make this journey too? Is there a greater hope for our world than this? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is no other hope than this journey. It's the hope for your friends and your family. It's the hope for the people you work with. It's the hope for the people where you live, for the community around this church. Is there something anything better that we could do this year together than help some people make this journey. It means the local church really is the hope of the world. Because we're the only place on the planet where people will be helped to make this journey. And if people don't make this journey, they remain lost in their darkness. And so for us, it's an awesome privilege and a frightening responsibility. And when you get to heaven, you may well ask God why on earth he chose such a ridiculous method to get his gospel to the ends of the world. I don't know the answer to that, but I know this. He wants fruit, and he's created us to be fruit bearers. You see, we'd be cross about a bird that didn't fly, wouldn't we? You'd be cross about a boat that never sailed or a child that never played. Why ever not, for heaven's sake? That's what they're made for. But what about a church that wasn't helping people make this journey? Why ever not? That's what they're there for. And so this year, we've got to be really intentional. We've got to be really intentional about helping people get to know us as Christians. You see, if people don't get to know us as Christians, they're never going to get to know Christ. I don't know anyone who's become a Christian without getting to know some Christians first. Certainly the Bible doesn't put it that way round either. The sad thing is that some people are put off coming to Christ because of what they know about Christians, or at least what they think they know about Christians. We've got to get out there, we've got to help people, uh, we've got to break down their, uh, uh, the, the shatter their illusions, we've got to push back their prejudices, break down their preconceived ideas, we've got to love them like nobody else has loved them, we've got to be real, authentic and genuine, we've got to reach people and say, hey, what you think about Christians is not the truth. You see, if people don't discover us to be authentic and real and deeply attractive, you can forget about them ever making the journey. That's scary, isn't it? But it's true. It's about me and it's about you. It's about us getting out there and making connections in his name. But be of good cheer. Be of good cheer, because during 2006, there were a good number of events where we mixed with all kinds of people, and lots of people came back and said, hey, there's something different about you lot. There's something genuine here. There's something real here. Hey, that's not us. That's him, isn't it? Hello? 
Oh, you wanted the credit, did you? That's you. Well, well then, I'm not sure that was me, so I'm going to give... And look, praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord, for every time people see something of you in us. And please, God, we want more and more and more and more and more. Because unless they get to know us, they're never going to get to know Christ. But let's not get too excited. It's only the beginning. This year, you see, we've got to help people get to discover something about us. And when they've discovered something about us, we've got to help them discover the someone who put that something there. To learn about a God who loves them, whose son died for them, in whom there's purpose for living, a brand new life, all of that stuff. People need to hear the gospel not once, but many times. They need to hear it not one way, but many different ways. So this year, let's do it together. Special services, personal conversations, use our small groups, events, courses, meals, and let's get right behind those things in our community that are particularly trying to help people understand the gospel. Let's pray for them, let's resource them, let's love them, let's encourage them. But even if some people get to know Christians and then they get to know the God who put that something there, most people are still not ready to commit because they've got lots of questions. And who wouldn't have lots of questions? How do I know there's a God anyway? And are all religions the same? And what's so special about Jesus? And what about suffering? And hey, why is the church so weird? We must be a place where people can ask their questions. Hey, this gospel was never a dogma. Jesus never presented it like that. He always offered an invitation, and so must we. We've got to be open to people's questions. An atmosphere where it's easy for seekers. It's easy for people to say, I'm not sure I believe that yet, without being glared at by the senior deacon. (laughs) Sometimes Christians behave as if they're only one question away from their faith unravelling. Please don't ask a question, I might stop believing. Hey, we've got to get a grip. It's the truth. And the truth will set people free. And the truth will stand all inquiry and all searching and all seeking. In fact, Jesus said if people really seek, they'll find the truth. Let people ask their questions. Let them knock and explore and debate and argue the truth. Because the truth for those who are seeking will rise above all other things. Isn't that true? It's only then having given significant and sufficient opportunity to explore their issues. The people are ready to make the step. Having found Christian authenticity, having discovered the truth about Christ, having had opportunity to raise their doubts and air their questions and explore their uncertainties, people give their lives to Christ. Oh, thank you. Whoever that was, Elizabeth, God bless you. Get out a purgatory free card for you. (coughs) Sorry, this, by the way, we don't believe in purgatory and you talk to me afterwards. And for all those listening at home, we don't believe in it. No, I'm going to stop now. But that's exactly what's been happening in our church, isn't it? People get to the point where they say, I can't do anything else but give my life to Jesus. Hallelujah. Isn't it brilliant when that happens? Can you remember when that happened to you? And it just thrill your heart. I was sobbing and sobbing on my bed. Intellectually, I'd learnt nothing new that day. I'd been brought up as a Christian all my life. I remember sobbing on my bed that God would come into my life and he'd do something in me that pleased his heart. Thank you, Jesus, for coming into our lives. But notice something which is essential, and we've taken uh, uh, years to, to kind of get a grasp of this here at Burlington. Hey, it's a long journey people are on. Look how far people have been travelling. They've been travelling a long way, even to get to the point where they might be ready to give their lives to Christ. But it's only the beginning. People need to step in through baptism, as we've been uh, seeing and hearing today. Christianity is not a solo hike, but that's not the uh, uh, end either. Having stepped in, people need to step on. 
Step on towards maturity. God uh, 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 longs for us to go deeper and deeper and deeper into him. Isn't that what Jesus said? Baptize them and then teach them some things. Teach them everything. To obey everything I've commanded. Maturity becomes the goal. And we've been guilty as churches of sitting around and saying, hey, turn up on a Sunday, show up in your small group and you'll grow. You won't. You won't grow unless you're intentional about growing, unless you build into your lives the spiritual habits and disciplines that cause you to grow. We must help people. We will help people this year to get back on track, to get on track with their spiritual walk. And then, so it goes on, baptized, paid up member of the church, you're learning to walk deep with God towards maturity, and suddenly you realize, because you can't miss it in God's word, that every Christian has a significant part to play in the church. Paul says, it's like we're either a hand or a feet or a head or an eye or a foot. He doesn't say you're a wart or a toenail or a, or a mouth ulcer, things that wouldn't matter, in fact, things we wish weren't there. He says you're really significant to the body of Christ. Every single person has a significant part to play. And so you've got to step out into ministry. And if the church helps people to travel the journey, then your ministry will be helping others to travel this all-important journey. And if the church helps people to travel the journey, then your ministry will be helping others to travel this all-important journey. Hey, will you play your part this year? Don't be greedy and do someone else's. But will you play your part this year? And will you go for it with all the skill and commitment and devotion that God has poured into your heart? Remember your primary ministry will be something that you're good at and you enjoy doing. God's made us to serve him. And if you're thinking, golly, I haven't got a clue what my primary ministry is, then get on the Discovering Your Ministry What's It course that starts later on this month before you leave church this morning. It's too important just to hang around in 2007 if God's got big things for you to do. And then some of you this year will be called up into leadership. How exciting is that? And so in 2007, we'll be fruitful in mission and maturity. God's desire and our design. And that's what it's all about. We've got to help people travel this journey, haven't we? We've got to help people travel the journey. And actually, nothing else matters. You see, not only is this the main thing, hey, this is Burlington Baptist Church's main thing. Hey, folks, this is the only thing. This matters so much that nothing else gets even close. However nice and attractive we might think it to be, it doesn't get even close to this. The only thing, when the last chord has been sung and the final Amen said, heaven will say, how fruitful have you been? How many people will you have helped on the journey and how well did you help them? I've got four questions for you. Very quickly, for Think about the ministry that you're involved in in this church, would you? How is your ministry helping people travel the journey? Are you absolutely sure you know where your ministry fits in? If it's trying to help people get to know us, is it trying to help people explore their questions, is it trying to help people grow in maturity or, or develop their ministry, what is it? Where does it fit in, what you're doing? Now, I hope that's an easy question that you answered uh, many years ago. But if you're not sure, check it out with someone really fast. Well fast, as my son would say. 
Don't do one week of ministry in our church without being absolutely sure why you're doing it. This is all too important for that, isn't it? Hey, we can't just busk along, can we? Hello? Am I on my own here this morning? A few of you together? We, we going together today? You're not sure? You're not, we're going together today? It's too important. Make sure you know why you're doing what you're doing. And then the second question, for heaven's sake, ask, is it working? If you're doing something designed to help people grow, are they growing? And if you're doing something trying to build relationships with others, is it happening? And if it isn't, stop. Get together, pray about it, read and study about it, find out what does work, talk to the leadership team, bring it up at one of my support meetings. Let's get it fixed. Remember, a faithful farmer dies with his children. It's fruitfulness that matters. Is it working? And on the other hand, if it is all working, stop, get together, pray, read, study, talk to the leadership team, bring it up at one of my support meetings, and let's work out how we can make it work better. Because every person counts. If we can do something that involves five people, it's better than four people. If it's six people, that's one more in the kingdom than if it was five. How can we do it better? Church like a vine is a prolific plant. And then how can we, the whole church, support you in what you do? The fourth question, which I was going to answer, but I'm not going to now. Where do we need to spend special effort and energy this year? So there we go. Let's do it. Or we could just go and lie on a beach somewhere. We could join a knitting circle, learn how to crochet. You could play a few more rounds of golf. Ooh, sorry for those of you who like golf. You could play tennis a bit more. Hey, you could watch EastEnders, all of them this year. Oh, or we could say, no, I'm going to give my life to something that's going to make a difference forever. You see, imagine in 2007, someone comes and sits in your boy. Oh, you get out of my pew. I've been sitting in that pew for as long as I've been coming. That's what you want to say, good Christian welcoming kind of attitude. But imagine for a minute, you force it down inside, right? So it's only showing on your face. The horror on your face is tangible. You can feel it, but you're pushing it right down. You're going, yep, that is my pew, but if you'll make room for me. But imagine if after several weeks of prayer and fasting, you feel a bit easier about the person that sabotaged your pew, this infidel that dares to sit in your holy space. And, you know, the strangest thing happens, you begin to think, well, I quite like them, really. And you start to pray for them. Imagine if before 2007 is up, they stand at the top of those steps, and they say they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and they say in your testimony, if it wasn't for the person that welcomed me (laughs) into my pew, I wouldn't have been... Imagine that. Would that be cool for 2007? Hey, I'm part of that story. That person coming to know Jesus, saved for eternity. Hey, hello, I want to shout. I was part of that. I welcomed them into my pew. Wouldn't that be cool? Hey, go and work Monday to Friday and do what you do. I feel sorry for you. What's it worth? This is what matters, isn't it? One more saved for Jesus. Imagine if after the service you pray with someone to become a Christian. Can you imagine that? Wouldn't that be tremendously exciting in 2007? And then remember, uh, imagine if in a few years' time, suddenly out of the blue, that person, call him Tom, stands up here to be prayed for because Tom's about to become a house group leader. Think, hey, I was part of that story. 
I was there when he gave his life to Jesus. How fab would that be? Imagine if this year in 2007, someone gets up here, a young person, and says, hey, you know, I just, I cannot believe how much God loves me. And I cannot believe that God's got a special plan that's just for me. And I'm giving a year to go away and work on a team to try and find out exactly what it is God's calling me into. into. And I was sensitive in my heart, and I just can't believe it. And you were the Sunday school teacher, beginners, primary who week in, week out, told that person, hey, God loves you and has got a special plan for you. God loves you and has got a special plan. I know someone's nicked your cards and it's been a rotten week at school, but God loves you and he's got a special plan. Hey, wouldn't that be smart? That's what these steps are all about. Designed to be fruitful by the one who desires fruitfulness. Let's do it. Let's do it. And if you're not sure, then remember the last verses of this song we're about to sing. With a whole realm of nature mine, it were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all.